Thanks, Marley. Well, hey, everybody. Her name's Marley. My name's Greg. <laughs> I can't help myself sometimes. I'm sorry. All right, so last week was the ninth anniversary of when we launched this church, but because of a water main break, we know that this week is actually the nine-year anniversary of our first in-person worship gathering, and so um, I feel I'm a little hot, if you don't mind pulling me down a little bit. Um, and so uh, this past week, I was actually talking to one of, uh, one of my spiritual overseers, uh, you know, so Michael Amenauer is in California, and then uh, um, uh, Corey Parker is in East Moline, and then the other spiritual overseer that, that I have is named Ross Parsley. He's in Austin, Texas. I know him from my days back at New Life Church in Colorado. He'd been there for 18 plus years before he went and planted a church in Austin. And this last week, uh, when I was talking to him, he just wanted to just extend just how proud he is of this church that, uh, that we are who we are, that God has done what he has done in this church. And he just reminded me that, that not all pastors in all churches make it to year nine, right? And so it is, a, and not to mention a pandemic wreaking havoc on, on how every church in America operated uh, for a couple of years. And so it really is something special that, that we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I just want to remind you that God has done something good here. I want to remind you that God has been good to us. And because God has been good to us, that we can and have been good to others. We have fed hundreds and hundreds of people through the pantry that we lead at Earl Hansen. Michelle Marquis is, is the point person on that, and she just does a killer job of organizing that and making sure that all the food that we need is there. We have provided hundreds and hundreds of gifts to hundreds of kids that have been affected by the foster care system. Over the last, um, it, we've done that eight times, what well, we did in 2015, uh, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. So we've done that nine times for the last nine Christmases. We've provided gifts for kids that, that maybe would not have felt like, oh, this Christmas morning is as special as they wanted it to be. This past Thursday, we sponsored the, the meal at Nest Cafe here in Rock Island. And when I was leaving, Laura, the one that started that ministry, said that, um, that we brought through more people than any other sponsor has ever brought through. And so round of applause, right? No, and it's not a competition, but it is, <laughs> but I'm just saying we're the best. No, no, that's not in my notes. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. That's not in my notes. But when we look at God, this is true. When we look at God, we will always end up looking at others. It's just how it works. If you look at God, he will have you look at others. And then our neighbor over here, Closet to Closet, the last few years, we've been asking them to partner with us in those uh, gifts that we do for kids in the foster system. And so they've been here actually a few months longer than we have. The, the building, initially, Jeff started it because he wanted us to have a home. Um, that's just a smaller spot, and so it actually got done before us. And so they were starting their stuff in here a couple months before us. But we've never just said, okay, this is when we're going to do stuff with you other than Christmas. And so I was just talking to Allie Haskell, who, who uh, leads that ministry right now, that I think that once a month on a Thursday that we need to start going, this is a Thursday night that we come and help, that we help load boxes, that we help organize things, we help sort things. And so I haven't decided what Thursday, maybe throw it out the last Thursday of the month, last Thursday night of the month, probably get an email to that effect, that the last Thursday of the month, that I would love it if we as a church could start building the relationship that we have with our building mate, 
that, that we can build and, and, and give into the ministry that they are doing uh, because what they are doing is so important. So you'll, you'll hear more about that as time goes by. God has done something good here. And I believe that his good work will continue as long as we are looking at him. So with that in mind, let's open our Bibles. Let's look at the book of Mark and see what Jesus is doing and what we are meant to learn. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Mark. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. So if you see any of those, you know that you're in the right neighborhood. Right. We went over Mark last week. Mark's the first gospel that was written. That's why the series is called The First Gospel. And if you don't have a Bible, we have them on the bookshelf. Take one, one for your friend. Feel free. Otherwise, you can download it from a digital app store. And we do our best to have a tradition of giving the scriptures our full attention. You, whatever makes sense for you to give the scriptures your attention, uh, you can sit or you can stand if you'd like. You can stand with me as we read these scriptures, okay? Here we go. Mark, starting in chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. Just a couple verses. Mark 1, 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Let us pray. God of every tribe, every tongue, every color, every nation, we thank you for the scriptures that they exist, that they have persisted throughout the millennia. I pray that whatever you have for us to learn today, pray that it would become a part of the framework of our faith, that our faith would become stronger, that we would become more like your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Can have a seat. Okay, so... Verse 14, the first thing that we're told is that John is in prison, all right? John, John the Baptist, uh, we talked about him a bit last week. Now think, we're only 14 verses into this book, okay? 14 verses. Think about how jarring this is. If you're, if you're a reader back then and you knew just a little bit about the story, didn't know exactly when things happened, you're reading and 14 verses in, suddenly one of the main characters is put in prison. Think about how jarring that is. Mark has framed all of this beautiful, rich imagery. What is happening and who is involved? We're reminded of creation, the first beginning, and how this is a kind of new beginning. We're told that John, this John that is put in prison, is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. We learned last week why Isaiah is so important. And Mark shows us that, that Jesus is this kind of physical embodiment of heaven and earth becoming one, uniting the different branches of the people of God. We see Jesus resist temptation. We see him succeed where others had failed. And then suddenly, verse 14, without explanation, no explanation, his forerunner, the one Isaiah spoke of, his friend, his actual cousin, is thrown in prison, and we're not told why. We're not even told by who until you get to chapter 6. We find out in chapter 6 that it's because John was calling out the adulterous sins of a local Jewish ruler. His name was Herod, Herod Antipas. He was the son of the same Herod that had tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was a child, when Herod the Great died, his territory was split up amongst 
his sons. And this territory was under Herod Antipas. We actually know that um, Jesus, uh, that John never made it out of prison. If you read the rest of the, oh, spoiler alert. My bad. My bad. He dies. <laughs> There's this video online right now of like a, like a fake Bible study and a guy that's sitting there and he's never heard the story. And, they get it, and someone goes, and then Jesus, and then, uh, well, you know, later when Jesus gets crucified, he's like, spoiler alerts, you know, like, he dies? Like, yeah. So the, the book of Luke tells us that later when Jesus is on trial before his crucifixion, that he actually stands before this same Herod. And that is actually the first time that they meet. The reason I'm pointing that out is because here in Mark 1, when John the Baptist is arrested, Jesus doesn't go to Herod and demand his release. Jesus doesn't pick up and go and talk to Herod and try and talk him out of whatever it is that he had in mind. Instead, it says that he picked up where John left off, preaching and saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Now, this is a pretty famous phrase that even if you didn't grow up in church, even if uh, you weren't a regular church goer, you've probably heard part of this. If you haven't heard part of this, you've probably at least seen part of this scrawled across a poster that someone's holding up on the corner. <laughs> repent, repent. But we have to ask ourselves, what is repentance? What is this good news? Well, repentance can be translated as simply as this, y'all. Two words. Reverse course. Those are the two words that it is translated. Reverse course, turn around, change directions. Jesus is saying, what he is saying right here isn't all that different than what God has been saying for the entire Bible. Right? I feel, hey, Tony, I feel like I'm getting a, a feedback. Yeah. Ah, ah, ah. In the ah, ah. So this is the same thing that John was saying. It's the same thing that Isaiah was saying. It's the same thing that every prophet, every judge, every religious ruler had ever been saying. If you go all the way back to the beginning, it's the message that God gave to Cain, one of the first children, right? God gives the same message to Cain when he was being tempted to kill his brother. He doesn't use the same words, but God says, you know the right thing to do. He says, you know the right thing to do as you're being tempted to hurt your brother. And if you do not change direction, sin is crouching at your door. He's saying, turn around, change directions, reverse course, repent. That's it. It's not a scary word. As much as some people try to make it be, what makes repent a difficult word is how we choose to use it. And I wonder... If at least in this case, if we, if Christianity is using it the same way that Jesus is using it. Because what does Jesus say? He says, repent and what? Believe. Believe what? This good news. So what is this good news? The word in Greek for good news just means news that brings joy. Think about the pairing here between what we typically feel about the word repent and the concept that, that good news is news that brings joy. 
Mm. The word that is translated from Greek to good news is also the same word that is translated gospel. It's the same word. Gospel, good news. Now back then, the word for gospel or good news, it wasn't as much of a word like that it was owned by religion as much as it was a cultural word. Back then, the gospel, the good news, it was anything that they believed to be history-changing. If something was world shape, that was world-shaping was happening, they'd ask, hey, did you hear the gospel? Hey, did you hear the good news? In a lot of cases, it was a word connected to propaganda. It's a word emperors would use about their conquests. It's how they described their own greatness. When they would conquer something, they would send someone ahead. Good news! You are now ruled by so-and-so. Listen to how they began this inscription about the birth and coronation of a Roman emperor. It says, these are the words, the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. Okay? Now, anyone that was here last week should be asking, why does that sound familiar? Why is that? Or anyone that has read the book of Mark? Think about it. How did Mark begin his gospel about Jesus? Mark 1.1 says, word for word, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only is Mark pointing us back to creation, but Mark is stealing. And Jesus is stealing and reclaiming and repurposing the words of empire. See, Jesus doesn't go to Herod and demand John be released because Herod was a puppet king for an earthly empire. And Jesus is interested in a different kingdom. Instead, Jesus uses the words of empire and conquest, the words of world-shaping news about his kingdom. He says, believe this gospel, believe this Good news, because this news will, will literally shape the world. The Roman Empire is gone. The kingdom of heaven is still here. Jesus is proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven has come near and that he is the king. Now, let's circle back around to repentance in the context of this, right? And the question of whether we are using it like Jesus is using it in this passage. The context of this story tells us Jesus isn't simply calling people to think about their sins. He's not calling them, just think about how generally bad you are. That's not the context of what he's saying. He's not asking them to think about their mistakes. He's calling them to change courses, to change directions to turn around and repent of what kingdom they follow. What kingdom they think is in charge. For a people like the Jews, who remember, it's like extreme home makeover emperor edition, remember? How many times who was in charge of their land had changed hands? Now Jesus is telling them there is a kingdom 
that will last forever. It has come near. Repent of who you think is in charge. Repent of even who it looks like is in charge. And believe this good news. This is repentance. This is the good news that Jesus is king. That Jesus brings a new kingdom and that we can follow him. Instead of kings like Herod, Caesar, or America, or ourselves. So what do we do with that? How do we participate with any of this? Uh, really, really, honestly, that's what the rest of this series is about. The passage right after this shows Jesus calling his disciples. And then it shows him healing and it shows him teaching. It shows him liberating people from evil spirits. It shows him praying. It shows people dropping their nets, throwing away their careers so that they can follow Jesus, so that they can be Talmidim. Talmud is, is a word for disciple. Talmidim is to be a group of disciples. And to be one of these disciples meant that you wanted to look at the rabbi you followed and to be everything you saw them being. And so the rest of this series is us looking at Jesus, deciding, do I want to be like what I see Jesus being? One of the weeks is about him confronting religious leaders. Do we want to be that? Are we comfortable with that? So that's what we're going to spend the rest of the series talking about. Mark shows us what Jesus is like, and by extension, what his disciples became, and by extension, what we are meant to do and become. But today, for just a minute here as I close, I want to acknowledge that tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And there was, this, there was this jarring moment where the other day I was at an event and um, someone said, hey, the, the, next, the next holiday coming up is, is uh, Valentine's Day, so what are your plans? And in my head I go, no, Monday's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And this, this thing that is so important in the history of our country, it, it kind of gets treated like, yeah, it's, some people get school off. But I want to acknowledge that 55 years ago, this coming April, that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated uh, for many reasons, but in large part because he was trying to look at Jesus. He was trying to liberate. He was trying to heal. He was trying to teach. His day, Dr. King was looking around and he did not see the kingdom of God. Or rather, maybe I should say, he didn't see the country that professed to be Christian reflecting the kingdom of God. Because many of us, like me at least, that have white skin, knowingly or unknowingly have benefited from how earthly empires work. Kingdoms that diminish people groups based on their ethnic or racial background. Our skin, our attitudes, and our actions have too often reflected 
earthly empires instead of God's heavenly kingdom. Repent and believe this good news. Too often, we have taken the concept of repentance and gone, oh, I've repented of the sins I know about, and I believe this good news that Jesus saves me without the extension of believing that his kingdom is supposed to bring life to everyone. My hope is that this year, that we continue as individuals, as a church, to reject racism, to continue to change our course whenever we see that is necessary, whenever the Spirit convicts us that we will grow in our anti-racism and that this church, this house, continues to become a safer church for people of all backgrounds. Because I've talked to different people in this room. I've said the point of a church isn't just to be safe. It is to continually be safer. Because Jesus is the king of this kingdom. Jesus is always saying, change courses, believe this joyful news, this news that brings joy. Let your hearts be changed. Abandon your careers. Abandon your loyalty to your empires. Instead, follow me. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the life of Martin Luther King Jr., but I thank you for the life of every person in this room that can use their voice and use their life to be like you. To speak up, to speak out, to act boldly as you have acted, to offer life in a kingdom that is unlike any other kingdom on this earth. Pray that you would teach us to change directions, to turn around, to reverse course every way that you reveal to us. Plus, listen to our brothers and sisters. Let our hearts be open to the way that you speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.